take your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. And by the way, today for our children's ministry kids club near the elementary age, my wife, it's, uh, she's in the rotation. She's doing it today. But my daughter, Trinity, had asked if she could teach the lesson. So Trinity's put together her own lesson. She's been working on it. Cindy's going to be back there with her. And so um, y'all have a thoroughbred teaching your elementary age kids today, right? So um, it's born into her, right? So um, now we'll dismiss the elementary age kids. You can now be dismissed to Kids Club. Hey, great morning that we have planned. At the end of the sermon, we have, um, we have uh, Ashton and Chris and Joey and Steve Allen they're back, but we're, they're going to be rejoining their members from the past. And then we'll be presenting a new member, um, Noelle. She's uh, raised up here, but she's now 18. And when you're 18, you can start the process of uh, joining officially. Hey, um, I think if you want to see something where Christ is working, it's our subject matter for today. The title of the message is Restoring a Broken Relationship. Anybody have those? Restoring a Broken Relationship. Okay, let's do this. Um, I know we just rested your feet, but if it, it would really seem uh, improper. Can we stand one time just to... I probably should have caught you before you sat down. But don't worry, my friend. You will have a chance to sit. If you take your Bible in Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, we've been preaching through this book of Second Corinthians. We're now at Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and verse 5. And he says in verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, for we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. So he says, but God who comforts the humbled comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. For though I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, for though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance. For you were made to have godly sorrow, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings about death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has brought about in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. For although I wrote to you, It was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made manifest to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting For Titus proved to be truth. And his affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice in everything I am encouraged about you. Could we go to the Lord? This is a good a good passage. 
quite a bit of data. Now we need your help. Restoring a broken relationship. Let us capture what the original author intended for the original recipients to understand. Let us make the jump to application. Maybe some in here are more in the offender position. And today's a good day to repent, to admit our sin, and to make efforts at reconciliation with those we've sinned against. Maybe some of us are in the offended position and we've not taken those steps of first, forgiveness from the heart, and then second, extending the hand to reconcile. So maybe that's some of us. Then maybe there's someone who has never been reconciled to God, the first and premier and most important item on our agenda. Is there anybody here who is not in Jesus, has not bowed the knee, has not trusted you as Lord and Savior? Maybe there's somebody like that has never been reconciled to you. Let us drink from your word today. I am an unworthy servant to even preach a message like this. We are unworthy people. We sure have a worthy Savior. So help us. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. I have a couple of pictures I want to show you to start off with. Right? Y'all like pictures, right? Okay. Let me see this first picture right up here. This first picture. Okay. Now, don't tell me what it is, but look at it, all right, and, 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 you know, what's the first thing that you see? Now, how many of you, by raised hand, I'm not calling on you, right? By raised hand, how many of you see the first picture you saw was a horse? Raise your hand. You saw a horse. Okay, now put your hand down. How many of you, the first picture you saw was a seal? Okay, less seal, more horses, right? But now that you see it, I've told you, no, those of you that saw the horse, saw the horse. Now that I've said seal, some of you see the seal, some of you saw the seal, can now see the horse. Can you see both pictures? The seal, are you having a problem with the seal? The fins at the end, right? You don't see the seal, right? Look at the face. Or a horse. Could go both ways. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a genetically modified seal, right? It's, it's. Flippers aren't that great. All right, next picture. Here's one. Y'all probably recognize this one, right? Right, you've seen this one before. Very popular. Okay. How many of you, when you first saw this, saw kind of a, uh, it would look like an elegant woman looking away? How many of y'all saw like the elegant woman who's just looking away, right? The high society, right? Mink coat, New Yorker, right? Now then, how many of you saw like more of an older woman, right? How many of y'all saw the older woman? Only a couple saw the older woman, right? Can you see the older woman in this now? Right? Can you see it? If you, if you look at it for a little bit, you'll start to see it. Look at now. I can see some of your heads now. You're going like, oh, now there's this young lady looking away or this older woman with a scarf over her head with maybe, maybe a little bit larger than normal nose, right? And so you're starting to see it now. You see it? All right. Let me give you another picture. Okay, what do you see here? A frog. What else do you see? A horse, right? Now, I think I had one more picture. Did I have one more picture? Is that it? Oh, this last one. Now, how many of you, when you saw this, 
saw two people like the old PBS thing where they're like speaking words to each other, right? Y'all see that, right? Okay, now how many of you saw like some kind of like pedestal or something of that nature, right? The pedestal, right? You see the pedestal, you see like the two people looking at each other, right? Now, here's the deal. In all these pictures, I, I want you to notice this. What is the true picture of each of these pictures? It's both. If you'll take a moment and you look and focus enough, you'll notice that each picture that I showed you, there's one picture you can see, then the other. There's two optical angles at these pictures, right? And if you can understand both optical angles, if you can both understand both angles of the picture, then you have a fuller appreciation for the picture as a whole. Now, the reason I show you that is when we look at our text today, the Apostle Paul is talking about restoring the restored relationship between he and really others and the Corinthian church. And what we have a picture here is both angles. We have the picture of the one who is offended, then we have the picture of the offender. What does it take to reconcile a relationship? Well, something has to happen between an offender and the offended, the offended and the offender. So in our text today, I think you can have a great appreciation for the text if you can see the full-orbed nature of, let's look at this from the offender's perspective, the offended, then the offender. But the whole entire message today and in this text is really about this idea of restoring a broken relationship. You got a broken relationship? Is there a broken relationship in life? Now, I will tell you, the first, uh, the first step towards repairing any kind of broken relationship is you, there has to be forgiveness before the Lord. If you're the one who is offended, there has to be forgiveness from the heart before the Lord. Colossians 3, 13 says, We forgive as the Lord has graciously so forgiven us. Ephesians 4, 32 says, We forgive as Christ has forgiven us. No matter what, if you're the offended person, no matter what anybody's ever done to you, it it, it doesn't compare to how we have broken the law of God and have sinned against a holy God. There's nothing that anybody can do against you that you can't forgive from the heart. We can forgive from the heart because we've been freely forgiven by the Lord. He is the standard. If a person is offended, the first step is a heart forgiveness. You've got to forgive them from the heart. Now, once you as an offended person forgive from the heart, then there can be efforts towards what we would call reconciliation forgiveness. Now, not, not every offense needs reconciliation forgiveness. Sometimes you can forgive from the heart and there's nothing that needs to happen between you and the, and the other person when you're the offended person. But sometimes there is. In the case of the text of 2 Corinthians, this was something that actually needed. Paul had a heart of forgiveness which translated into efforts at restoring the relationship because the relationship had been broken in such an extreme way. So there did need to be this restoring of a relationship. Now, people will say to me sometimes, who's responsible to make the first step? The offended or the offendee, right? Is it the offender or the offended? And I would say in the scriptures, both. Both. Whoever recognizes it first makes the first effort. Are you the offended person? Make the first step. Forgive, forgive as God has forgiven you. Are you the offender? Repent. Then offer the fruits of repentance, right? So the offender or the offended? If you want evidence for that, you can look at Matthew 5, 23 through 24. We won't turn there. Or you can look at Matthew 18, 15. And Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it says, if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, go, leave your gift at the altar. That's 
You're possibly the offended. You're possibly the offender. Maybe you're the offended. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins, go to him, right? You might be the offended. So the offender, the offended, it doesn't matter. Either one, whichever one loves Jesus more, all right? Sometimes we don't actually even attempt broken relation, to restore broken relationships because we are waiting for the other person to respond. Don't wait for people to obey Jesus. You obey Jesus. You obey Jesus. So we have this picture in our text, and we're going to break it down. If you've got the notes, if you've got, got into the notes, right, you can see on the back side of the notes, and we're going to break it down in two different pictures. We have the offended, we'll look at that first, which is Paul, and, and really, you could also say Titus, you could say others, right? But we're going to look at Paul and Titus. And then you have a second section, the offender, of the offender, who are the Corinthian church, right? Now, I don't, I've already been talking to you a lot about this message, so I think you're already aware, but the Corinthian church had really done Paul pretty dirty, really dirty, actually. And in fact, his last visit that he made to them, they, it was such a really bad visit that when Paul got out of there, it was, it was deplorable the way they had actually treated him. It was terrible. They were still, and now they were believing lies about false, false teachers had said about Paul. They were throwing all these kind of accusations for the past several weeks. We've been from chapter two to chapter seven. Paul's had to defend his ministry for their, the glory of God and their good. Now he's about to make some transitions from it where he no longer is defending his ministry. He's now actually made a transition now where he's now going to actually address them, right? So now he's going to address them this week with this idea of restoring relationship. Next week, he'll start to address this idea of grace giving. But now we're back to him giving some instruction. So the question is this, do you have a broken relationship? Do you have a relationship that needs to be restored? Whether you're the offended or the offender, God's word has something for us today. Now, let's start off in verse 5. And um, when we look at your outline, you see first, we have, the suff- we have the offended. You see that? And number one, let's talk about the offended person, the sufferings of the offended. I don't want to distract from this idea that if you have been the one who has been egregiously offended and done wrong, yes, you are suffering. But your suffering does not allow a reason to never approach reconciliation. Look in verse 5. Paul says this. For even though we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. I just want to point something out to you just in case you don't know. So what happened was this. Paul was in Ephesus. Persecution breaks out. He goes up to Troas, right? He's, he's, un, he's stirred up because Titus has not come back from visiting the Corinthians with that letter, that letter that made them sorrowful, right? He has no comfort, so he leaves Troas, and he comes over into Macedonia, hoping that maybe he would catch Titus there. He was hoping that Titus from Corinth to Macedonia, he would have caught him. If not, he'd catch him in Troas. But what we have is this. Paul was nervous about when he sent Titus down there. It wasn't good for Paul when he went. He sends Titus with this letter with this letter that we don't have. It's this we call the sorrowful letter. We'll look at it here in a little bit. He's not sure how they treated Titus, so he's a little anxious about things. You can see in our text he says we had no rest. We're afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. Things were going very well. He was suffering. He was suffering because of the relationship that he had had with the Corinthians. Then he's suffering. There's other multiple things. Have you ever, as the offended person, has someone ever offended you? 
And it was like one thing of ten things that was already happening in life, right? That's Paul right here. He says there's conflicts without, there's outward conflicts. Then he said there's fears within. There's things happening in his own heart. If you were to go to chapter 11, Paul says something interesting. He said all the problems he went through in life, he said, and I have the cares of the church daily, the cares of the church daily, fears within. There's like even internal issues. So there's some suffering that he's doing as the offended. There's suffering that he's more than likely experienced some more persecution, possibly in Macedonia. There's some suffering of that he's really concerned about all the church. He's concerned about the Corinthian church, but he's also concerned about Titus. I don't want to take apart. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to negate this idea that if you've ever been offended, offended in a terrible way, I don't want to negate and minimize how you've suffered. But we don't want you to stay there. Because when you have suffered, it's a great opportunity to experience God's comfort. Now, look in the next verse in verse 6. And this is point number 2 on your outline underneath the offended Paul. There was solace for the offended. There was solace for the offended. We're going to look at verse 6, 13 and 16, solace. Look in verse 6. Paul says this. But God, every time you see the word but God, that's usually a good thing. But God... Who comforts the humbled? If you have an NASB, it, it'll say the word depress. But God, who comforts the humble? So Paul was suffering. But in his suffering, God met him and comforted him. No one likes to be the offended person. No one likes the hurt that has happened. I'm, I mean, I, I, for some of you, it's terrible what some people have done to you. It's terrible what some family has said to you. It's terrible what some co-workers have said. It's terrible. You suffered. But don't grow bitter, grow better, because it's been God's opportunity to comfort you in the midst of that. Paul says, I was comforted by God. We were comforted by God. God who comforts the humbled. Right? God comforted him. He, he got this solace from God. God provided this. This is what God does. He loves to bring comfort. And not only that, but look at chapter, verse 13a. Spoiler alert, they do repent, Right? But on the backside of their repentance, watch some of the things that happen. He gets solace from the Lord. He gets all, not from the Lord, but he gets it from the Corinthians. If you look in chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says this. Now, the spoiler alert, we haven't got to in our text officially, um, but they did repent. But look what Paul says has happened in their relationship as a result of their repentance. Look in verse 13. For this reason, we have been, what does he say? Comforted. That's in relation to what the Corinthians, what is... Happened with the Corinthians. Then not only has he received comfort from God, but he's received comfort from the Corinthians. I want to encourage us. If you are the offended person, and once you've forgiven from the heart, and you start making efforts towards reconciling that relationship, God will comfort you. But then also, if that other person is a follower of Jesus, at some point they will repent. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's nothing like the comfort of a restored relationship. Now look what he says also in verse 13, look down at verse 16. As he ends our section, he says this. I rejoice that in everything I am encouraged about you. I'm encouraged. Look at the solace, the comfort, the encouragement he feels as a result of what the Corinthians, he's got it from God. Even if, even if the Corinthians never actually repented, he already had it from God. But what extra grace this was that he actually got to experience from the Corinthians Oh, hey, I'm just telling you, 
there's so many of us in here and listening online who are listening to this later. You've never got to experience the pure joy of not only getting God's comfort, but then when someone has offended you in such egregious ways, what it's like to see their humility and your forgiveness and a burying and a putting away of the offenses as Christ has done to us. If you have not experienced that in life, you are missing out on a piece of the reconciled life. What we do most of the time is we ghost people. We go somewhere else. We avoid them. We don't, we don't ever want to restore. Oh, there's so much, there's so much soul care for you. But not only that, look, in, look, at, look at point number three. Solace for others offended. By the way, do you like that I have all S's right? Do you, have, you like that? I'm just trying to be, you know, just a good Baptist. I'm trying to be a good Baptist, right? By the way, right now, uh, those of y'all know that I'm, I'm uh, upgrading my, my degree to uh, another master's degree so that I can do a Ph.D. work later. Um, and so, um, so anyways, one of the things is I got to take um, preaching. I took that preaching in my bachelor degree, but I'm taking preaching again. So um, maybe, maybe I'm, that's why I'm being more homiletical here, right? It's uh, the Baptist. It is a Baptist class, right? Verse 16, it says this. Actually, wait a minute. That was the last point, right? Let's go to the one we are. Verse 13. Solace for others offended. Notice what he says in verse 13. For this reason, did you catch that he says what? We. We. Not talking about himself. Definitely in the text we would be referencing Titus. We have been comforted. Look down at verse 15. And his affection abounds. This is talking about Titus. All the more... And his affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. So remember, Titus comes and, and, and what many would say, believe he's the one that brought that sorrowful letter, but then he got to see and experience that they were already convicted about how they had treated Paul when he had made that last visit, that they were already broken by what is, when, when they received the letter, the, the, the ground was, was, was very soft. But not only has Paul received solace from God and from the Corinthians, but so did Titus. Some of the greatest pleasures, I think, in ministry has been in 25 years of pastoral ministry. I have got to see the times where you had people that were at war. They repented before God. They forgave as Jesus forgave. They owned up to their sin. They offered restitution. They offered they offered to show, let me show you the fruits of repentance. I saw a restoring of that relationship. And I got comfort from it. Just being the outsider watching what's going on. Oh man, I just want to encourage you. There is solace for others in the offense, right? There's solace when the church gets to see this kind of thing. This is why I love the ministry that I get to do oftentimes of just, we call it biblical counseling, is I get to see people reconcile all the time. I get to see the handiwork of what God is doing. Now, go to point four on your outline. Point four on your outline. Point four on your outline says the sanctified soul of the offended. The sanctified soul of the offended. Look in verse eight. Now, if you've ever been the offended, before you go to the person to restore you have to make sure that you're already right with the Lord, right? I see a lot of people will say, well, Nick, I, I, went to the, I went to the offender, right? I was offended. I went to the offender. Well, a lot of times 
people go to who the offended go to the offender, and they haven't really forgiven from the heart already. And they just want to kind of get out everything that they're angry about to that person, right? They want to give them guilt. They want to give them shame. They want to give them the judgment that they hope that they would already know about. Even take the word forgive, right? When you forgive someone, right? I've told you often it means you no longer bring the matter up to yourself. You're not stewing over it. You're not bringing the matter up to other people, right? And then there may be a time where you initially bring it up to a person for reconciliation, but then you're not bringing it up. You're replacing that thought. You're not continually stewing over it. But if you break down that word forgive, it means to hold back something that you were going to give. Meaning this, when people don't forgive, what they actually want to do is they want to give justice and judgment to somebody. They want to give it. When you forgive, what you're saying is, I am holding back that justice that you deserve, right? That's what for, right? It says hold back, forgive. I'm not giving you what you deserve. We can do that from the heart because Christ is the one that's already paid the price for sin. Why are we walking around trying to make people pay for their sins against us when Jesus has already absorbed the wrath of God in their place, right? So, what's beautiful about this is Paul has a right heart with things. Look in verse 8. Now, we're looking at the sanctified soul of the offended, right? He's, his soul is right as the offended. He has forgiven them from the heart, and you can see it in his response. Look in verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter. So Paul writes this letter. This letter, man, brings them through. He has a confrontation with them. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did what? I did what? I did regret it. It's kind of this sorry, not sorry. He's like, man, I wrote you a letter. It hurt. I hated to see you hurt like that, but I'm glad you did because it brought you to God. Now, this is a person who already has forgiveness of the heart. If you don't have forgiveness of the heart, it would be, oh, I wrote you a letter and you hurt. Good. I hope you felt like I felt about it, right? I hope you got everything. I hope it really hurt you because you hurt me bad. No. I wrote you a letter. It made you sorry. I'm sorry. Man, I hate to have to do that to you. But I did it for your good to bring you to repentance. This is someone who has the... A sanctified soul of the offender, right? Look, look what he says in verse 8. For I see the letter cause you sorrow, though only for a while. Sometimes when you're the offended and you try to go to reconcile that relationship, you, you're concerned that, well, what if this hurts them? What if me approaching them and trying to reconcile this hurts things for a little bit? It may hurt things. It may hurt them. It may hurt the relationship for a little bit. But it's, a, it's, it's something worth doing. It's a mess, but it's a mess worth making. It was messy for him to confront them and the sin that they had against him. It was messy, but it so was good for their soul. Now look in verse 9. He says this. This is still this idea of number 4, the sanctified soul, the offended. I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance. For though, but just so you see this, his soul is sanctified in it. He sees that they've repented, right? Repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of life. They have repented. He's, it isn't about getting even with them. It isn't them, about them feeling as bad as he felt. He's already got his comfort from the Lord. But it's this idea of, I'm, I, I wanted you to sorrow so that you would be brought to repentance. I wanted to win you back to the Lord and to me. What a clear soul before the Lord that he has here to do something like this. He says, for, he says in verse 9... He says, 
I'm sorry. Um, yeah, keep looking at verse 9. For you were made to have a godly sorrow that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Anything through us. He's, so even look at this. Everything that I've invested in you, Corinthians, I did not want you to suffer loss of the discipleship, the gospel message, everything that I've given to you. My ultimate hope and gain for you was to give you something, not to get even. You sorrow because of the letter I wrote and how strong it was, but it brought you to a genuine repentance. I praise God for it. But look at his response. He's not trying to get even. He's not trying to be malicious. It's about the glory of God. It's about their good. Even bump down to verse 12. Look what he says. Although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, which was, which was, there was more than likely one lead person that was doing this, but many came in and believed all the accusations and how they had treated Paul on that, on that second visit that he made to them. Nor for the sake of the one offended, which is Paul, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made manifest to you in the sight of God. His heart is, I want you to be eager for the things of God. I want you to be eager for what God has given you, but eager for the apostolic ministry that I've given you, eager for the gospel message. I, do you see the, the sanctified soul that he has to even, as the offended person, to even go after this? Know this, if you are the person who's offended, there is first has to be a forgiveness of the heart where you're no longer stewing over this. You're not bitter about it. You, when it comes up to your mind, you're replacing it with God's thoughts. You're not talking to others. And then once you forgive it from the heart, which is a command, it's not this feeling when I feel like it. We forgive from the heart because God commands it based on the work of Christ, right? If God has forgiven us, we can freely forgive others. But once there's this heart forgiveness, there is a natural desire to want to restore this. And the goal in the, in the restoring process is it's about the glory of God and their good. It's not your good. I've seen people trick themselves and think that they have heart forgiveness. And every day they're stewing over the bitterness. And when they come to talk to the person, they're just spewing a bunch of vomit. Can't you see how Paul here, it, he had the tough conversation, but it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his own glory. He wasn't puffed up with pride. It was about their good. A sanctified soul, a soul that is forgiven as Christ has forgiven us. Now look at number five. Step. Look at number five of the offended. The steps of the offended. Look in verse 14. Have you ever been the offended person and you wanted to go talk to the person? Let's say you have a forgiveness of the heart and you want to go talk to the person, but your thought is this. What good will that do? They're just going to shoot me down. Like, I know, I know God's, you know, I know what they're like. There's just no way. Well, look, look what he does in verse 14. This is on the back side of the whole passage. He says, for if in anything I have boasted to him about you, meaning, Corinthians, I have boasted to Titus about you. I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be true. So look at this. So Paul sends Titus to go check in, bring more than likely this letter. He's... It, it's, you ever felt like you were talking out both sides of your mouth, right? Where he's like, man, I was a little concerned. Paul, Titus didn't meet me at Troas. Got a little nervous about that. I went over to Macedonia and, and you know, hoping to meet Titus there because I sent him to meet the Corinthians. I was afraid they were going to treat him like they treated me. But then he's over here saying, but I told Titus the whole time, man, these guys are going to repent. Man, these guys are going to do it. This is going to be a different relationship. Look what he says right here. He says, if anything, I have boasted to, to Titus, I was not put to shame. You guys did repent. 
You guys did actually come through. We did restore. I've forgiven you from the heart. I realize that that you have actually seen your sin before God. He says, and as we spoke all these things to you in truth, so also boasting before Titus proved to be true. I I bragged to Titus how it was going to go okay. Isn't that funny how he's on the side, he got a little little anxious about it on the backside, but he's sending Titus to them and and telling Titus, man, these guys are going to repent. You know, sometimes, don't doubt the work of God. God is working in more people's lives than just your own. If there's someone who's in Christ, right? If two people are in Christ, the offended, while they're practicing forgiveness of the heart, God is over here working on the offender, doing a work in their own heart. And I'm telling you, there's probably more than likely this offender never gets to feel the full glory of God in the weight of being restored to a brother or sister they've offended because the offended won't ever go towards them. The offended is thinking the whole time, God's not doing the work in their life. There's no use in me even going. We doubt, they doubt the Holy Spirit's work in people. But if people are in Christ, they have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is what? Holy. If it's holy, that means he's going to convict people. Why would we not think that God would do that? So Paul says, verse 14, I just think it's amazing. He's like, Titus, they're going to repent. Uh, he, spent 18, he spent 18 months with them. He had seen their profession of faith. Now bump up to verse 14. I'm sorry, bump down to verse, bump up to verse 8. Look what Paul says. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Now, I want you to notice something. Paul sent them a letter. This is the steps of the offended on number five. We're still there. He, he trusted that God was doing a work in them so he could approach the restoring process. But also, I do want you to understand something from this text in verse eight. He says, for though I caused you sorrow by my, what does he say? By my what? My what? My letter. Paul takes a step. And addresses them. You know, there's so many, like, there's this thing where people, yeah, I forgive them from the heart. Yeah, I trust that God's going to do something. But, man, that just may be awkward. Or, man, you know what? They offended me. I forgive them from the heart. They're acting a little bit better than they did before. Man, let's not bring up this kind of junk. Let's just kind of leave it alone. Because, man, we just make things really worse. Are y'all tracking with me on this idea? But Paul says, no, man, we got to make sure we're straight. I'm going to write you a letter. And it. It was a godly letter, it was a good letter, but it was a hard letter. It was a truthful letter. But Paul was willing to risk the relationship to bring restoration in Christ. Remember, his letter that he's writing, he's not writing it out of a heart of maliciousness. It is a heart that is valuing the work of Christ, the same forgiveness that God has given Paul. He's wanting to extend that as well. Now, I would want to notice something that some people forget when they are the offended going towards the offender. People do this sometimes. Okay, Nick, I'm the offended. I forgive him from the heart. I'm going to go to the offender. They'll walk over here and they'll make one attempt. And then more than likely the first attempt, do you think it goes good or bad many times? Bad. And then they're like, yep. <laughs> you're a liar, Nick, man. You told me to do this all set. This <laughs> Again, it went terrible. But notice with Paul, he's not only writing a letter, right? But he's sending Titus, right? only that, right? But remember, he'd already made a visit to them. What do we see with Paul? Even when you're trying to restore with somebody, you make multiple efforts. 
People say, like, how many efforts should I make? Exhaust it as much as you can. Make a, when we fight a battle, we fight a battle as a, as a nation by the land, by the air, and by the sea. We fight it on all fronts. Why in the world, if you're the offended person, going to the offender, think that, well, we're just going to get in our planes and that's the only way we're going to fight the battle? No, sometimes you may have to put boots on the ground. You may have to, you may have to make a, a sea voyage. You may have to try many different routes to try to bring about reconciliation. You might write a letter. You might have a conversation. You, are y'all understanding me? There's multiple different uh, trajectories that you've got to make. But don't be lazy and just make that one effort and go, well, that didn't work. We're done. Make multiple efforts. So that's the offended, all right? Okay, how y'all doing? Y'all okay? Y'all okay? Can I get an amen if you are? Now let's look at the offender. And this doesn't apply to any of us because we would never sin against somebody, right? We'd never do that. So... I don't even know why we're even talking about this part. This wouldn't apply to any of us, I'm sure. Verse 7, now the offender of the Corinthians. Point number one, underneath the offender. I love this. It, we, we, get a, we, get a, we get an optical picture of both sides here, what's transpiring. Verse 7, the starting point of the offender. Look in verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us. So Titus comes, reports back to Paul about the Corinthians' repentance, right? From that letter. They're different now. And look at the starting point. And he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So the starting point of the offender, if you are the offender, how do you know God's worked something in your heart? How do you know that you've come full understanding of your sin before God? You're seeing your sin as God sees it. And you are in a repentant position. You will, you will um, long, mourn for it to be back in, back in a reconciled relationship with that person. You will long for the day that y'all can meet back together. You will mourn for the opportunity. You will mourn over the sin that you've done towards them. And you will mourn for the opportunity that you can be back together. A zeal. There's this... Now the Corinthians, instead of believing all the false accusations, they fight against it. They're now fighting against these false apostles. And they're now promoting Paul again. The starting point for them is not only do they admit their own sin, but you can see this starting point of they have a mourning, a longing, a zeal. They want to be back in relationship with Paul. If you're ever the offender, and you can kind of go, well, I know what I did against somebody was egregious. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to admit it to God. I'm going to keep it in real personal, right? It's going to keep it to myself. I won't ever say anything to them. Oh, well, I guess that relationship's gone. But God, it's so good to be clean. You're probably not as clean as you think you are. Because if you was, there would be a mourning, a longing, a zeal. I want to be back in relationship with this offended person. If you're the offender, this is the starting point. You can see it in your own soul. Now go to point number two underneath the offender. Look in verse eight through nine. The sorrow of the offender. When a person is the offender, if you've ever wondered, like, how do I know I've, I'm changing? How do I know I've repented? How do I know that I've really mean business with God? Look in verse eight. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, Paul says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to, what does it say, church? Repentance. So he says, 
you've repented. The offender has repented. There's been a change of, there's been a change, a change from the inside that makes it to the outside. Repentance. They've seen their sin as God sees it, and now there's something different. He says in verse 9, For you were made to have a godly sorrow, that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So they have a, a godly sorrow. What does a godly sorrow looks like? A godly sorrow looks like, I feel sorrow because I have broken the commandments of God. I feel sorrow because I have also sinned against others, my neighbor. I I sorrow right here. And then when a person has that kind of godly sorrow, they run to Jesus. They run to the finished work of the cross. They They see sin as God sees it. Then they confess sin. They confess sin to the level of which they have committed it. They don't try to hide or skirt their sin anymore. And then in the midst of that, they, they, now, they now start to make the godly efforts to restore that relationship. There's fruit of repentance in that relationship. This godly sorrow, they run to Jesus. But here's the difference. Look in verse 10. He says in verse 10, For godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings what? What does it say? You know, You know, a lot of people don't have a sorrow to repentance as the offender. They have what's called a worldly sorrow. A worldly sorrow says, I feel bad I got caught. I feel bad for what I lost. And there's no efforts at reconciliation. There's no restoring that the offender wants. In fact, they just make excuses. In fact, a a person who kind of has like a worldly sorrow, a lot of times if they even do even a confession of their sin to somebody, it is half-hearted and honestly pathetic. It's usually something like, well, I apologize for what I've done, but I only did this because you're a jerk face, right? It's, it's, it's all sorts of qualifications. But when someone has a godly sorrow, they are looking to admit, repent, admit, They know that Jesus has forgiven them. They run to the only place that they can do anything about their conscience. I'll give you an example. Y'all remember Judas, right? Y'all remember Judas? When he betrayed Christ, he got guilt. He felt guilt about it. And what did he do in the end? What did he try to give back? 30 pieces of silver. Did it seem like he was satisfied with that? No. What did he do? He went out and hung himself, right? He went and killed himself. He couldn't take it. Now, That was what we would call worldly sorrow, and it led to death. He tried to do what's called penance. Anybody have a Catholic background, right? Penance is, you've done wrong, and I will make up for the wrong I've done to satisfy God in my conscience, right? That's called penance. We, in a godly sorrow, do repentance. It's like Peter. You remember Peter? He denies Christ three times. Later on, what does he do? He does repentance, right? There's a change of life. The change of heart, change of life. When we get to Acts chapter 3, on the day of Pentecost, it's Peter standing up, doing the Lord's bidding. A worldly sorrow feels bad that you got caught. A worldly sorrow doesn't run to Christ. A worldly sorrow just tries penance, but not repentance. A godly sorrow will do a repentance. And when a person repents, it's a total change of life. So the sorrow of the offender in verse 8 through 9, there was a repentance. Now go to verse 11. Verse, this is step number 3. This is... Point number three, underneath the offender. The steps of the offender. Here's a question I get asked all the time. How does the offender know they truly have repented and mean business with God? And how does the offended know in such a way the offended can say, I forgive you, I'll never bring this up again. I forgive you. I see it. And I would say this. 
there's always evidence, fruit you're looking for. And here's some of the fruit we see in verse 11. Look in verse 11. Paul is acknowledging that the offender, the Corinthians, have some fruit, have some things that you can see. For instance, if you ever remember Zacchaeus, right? You remember when Zacchaeus came to the Lord, he said, if I've, if I've taken from the poor, I'll give back half. If I've stolen, if I owe anything, I'll give four times. I'll bring restoration. I'll make it right. I'll show evidence and fruit of repentance. So Paul says, there's been some evidence that you've repented. Look at verse 11. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has brought about in you. First off, he says, what earnestness, which means eagerness. Like he was eager to be back in relationship, right? They were eager. He says this, what vindication of yourself, right? That word vindication is the Greek word that we get for apologetics, apologia. It doesn't mean they made an explanation for what they did. It means that they were no longer defending themselves. And in fact, they were freely confessing. And in fact, they wanted Paul to know, Paul, here's the changes that God has done in our life and heart. We're going to send this through. We want Titus to know about this. In fact, how we comfort Titus, that there's this vindication of ourselves. Paul, we're different people. Paul, what we were like and how we treated you before, we're different people. Paul, I can't wait till you get back here. Paul, when are you going to come back here and be with us? We, we want to make right what we've done wrong. It's vindication of themselves. Look in verse 11. What indignation... It means they had a growing hatred for their sin that they had done against Paul. They didn't minimize it or push it aside or try to blame shift with it. A growing indignation. What fear in verse 11? A newfound fear of God. It was more than just, I'm sorry. It's, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I fear God in a new way that I, that, that I haven't before. I'm a different person. And you can see it. There's evidence. What longing They long to be back in fellowship with him. If you're the offender and you're saying, I truly have repented, but I want nothing to do with the person that I actually sinned against, I would challenge you. That's not really good fruit of repentance. There should be a longing to want to restore that relationship. He says in verse 11, what zeal. They were now refuting those who talked error about Paul and then defending his ministry, then for his ministry. What avenging of wrong. Oh, this is a great one. What avenging of wrong. They were trying to make restitution. They were trying to make things right. They were saying like, how can I make this right with what I've done? Not to earn God's forgiveness, but to show the offended, man, God's done something. I want you to have full confidence. I'll give you this story. So, I'll, here's the, man, this is so great thing about, there's, honestly, there's some downsides of being a pastor. Shocking, right? All right? But there's some really good things, right? So my 25 years, I've seen some amazing reconciliation take place. I've seen some amazing verse 11 happen by the offender that I could look over at the offended and go, dude, sister, brother, do you not see what they've done, right? Do you not see the material, the evidence on the ground of their repentance? Do you, do you not see it? Now's the time to tell them you forgive them. Uh, you forgive them. This will no longer be brought up. This isn't coming out of the file drawer anymore. I've seen crazy things. Like one time, by the way, I'm going to use some extreme examples because usually that's what you need for this text, right? For people to understand the weight of it. You know the most destructive, by the way, are y'all okay right now? I got like 18 minutes left. We went a little longer. Are y'all okay? Y'all about to fall asleep? Y'all, y'all, y'all messed up, right? Okay. If your bladder's full, maybe you got to go to the bathroom, go do it, whatever. All right. I just got to tell you this story because I, I, I want you to, I want you to get this, this text. Uh, man, there's so many stories. 
in the 25 years, I have seen countless cases of adultery. Countless. I mean, so many times I've seen it, right? From people in the church, outside the church, that you're dealing with people. But I've seen some times where that person comes to Jesus at the foot of the cross, that offender, and you can see verse 11 all over their life. There was one time, there was a guy, um, there was a guy that had committed adultery against his wife. He had actually slept with prostitutes, and it spent a ridiculous sum of money, right? And they didn't have it. Not only that, but um, he had, he had, um, you know, brought certain infections to his wife as a result of it. These are all pretty hard things, right? You understand, right? Like the worst, the most violating trust that you ever have would be really adultery on like an earthly level. Are y'all with me on this, right? In the covenant of marriage, right? And here's what I saw this person do, this, this, this person do. They went and got an extra job and earned back all the money that they had actually taken from the family for their sin and put it at the foot of their spouse, right? You see this, right? This person had told their church. This person had, this, this person was in a ministry position. So they then even told their church. They resigned from their position. They did not protect the reputation at all, right? Now, I remember when we were spending time, the offended had said, I've forgiven from the heart, but I don't know if I ever want to, I don't know if I ever want to let this person back in. I mean, what if, y'all, y'all get this, right? Like, what if this happens? Like, what if? And here's my counsel. Well, I can't predict the future, but here's what I can tell you. There's some 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11 on the ground, right? They have been zealous to clear their name. They have wanted to make right what they've done wrong. They haven't hidden it. They have taken great shame. They've even lost their position in ministry. They have done everything they can do to try to bring about a restoring back. I would say, based on the work of the cross and the graciousness, forgive and move forward. Now, I'll tell you this. Those people, man, they had several more kids after that. And it's been years, and they love Jesus but you could say that because you saw the evidence on the ground. If you're wondering, how do I know? Hey, if you're kind of here and you're like, okay, Nick, ew, I'm the offender. What can I do? Friend, go to the cross. And then I would tell you this, make restitution. And when you try to make restitution, if your heart's bitter about it, then friend, you haven't really repented. But if your heart is delightful in it and you want to do it, oh friend, that's a sign that God's really done a work. And now we end with this. Look at verse 13. And this is point number four. The spark of the offender. The spark. I just was trying to come up with an S, everybody. Look at verse 13. He says in verse 13, For this reason we have been comforted, and besides our comfort we rejoice even much more for the joy the Titus, because his spirit has been, what does it say? Refreshed by you all. You know what's really interesting, really great about the offender? Not only will it restore with the person they've sinned against, I'm just going to be honest, man. I have been, there has been, I have been like the tightest moment sometimes where I got to watch this happen. And I have seen, and I've seen families reconciled. I've seen husbands and wives forgive and restore in such a way that it brought 
a refreshing to their whole household. I've seen a husbands and wives be so bitter, it was damaging their kids. They repented, they reconciled, fruits of repentance, things have been right. And then all of a sudden you start to see the children flourish again, right? What happens? Others get refreshed. I've even seen it in the church. Like what holds churches back sometimes? A bunch of bitter church members fighting and arguing with each other, not valuing the work of the cross, not forgiving, not offering any kind of fruits of repentance. And what's happening is the church isn't getting refreshed. Their families aren't getting refreshed. Their neighbors aren't getting refreshed. No one's being told about Jesus. Are y'all with me? Do y'all understand this? The restored relationships. It's so beautiful what is provided in our text. Would you stand to our feet as our worship worship team sings? What we're going to do is this. We're going to sing a song back to the Lord. We're going to join some members. We're going to go out into the foyer and baptize. After we baptize, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and that will conclude our time. Would you pray with me as our worship team comes up? And I want to do this. I want to pray for your restored relationships. And then if there's someone who's not here who's never been in relationship restored to God, I want to pray for you. Would you pray with me? I'm asking now. If there's somebody here who's never bowed the knee to Jesus, today would be their day. They'd they'd bow their heart before you. If there's somebody who's never been able to pray this prayer, maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. This is a prayer that many, kind of, these kind of words, it's not the words, it's if you mean it in your heart. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you. It's a prayer like this. Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I've broken your law and your commandments. I know that Jesus died for my sin in my place. I trust you as my Lord and King. Come into my life and heart. I want to follow you now. If you prayed a prayer like that, would you tell someone at the end of the service? Let me close this off while praying for the rest of us. If there's an offended here, God, bring them to the heart of forgiveness. If there is a fender, bring him to the heart of repentance. And God, restore. As we leave here today, may there be a husband and wife, a mother, daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a child and parent, a grandparent and grandson, a neighbor, a co-worker. May people who are in Christ now restore because of the restoration we have in Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Let's sing together, and then we'll have some people, we'll present some new members.